Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hi, everyone. Uh, joining us once again is Sean. Hello. And he's along for the ride as we discuss the from the year 2000, U571. Now, this was the second album that Van Halen recorded with uh, <laughs> Sammy Hagar. I believe that's right. Yes, yeah. All right. Just had to throw that one in there. This is the World War II submarine adventure movie uh, written and directed by Jonathan Mastow. Or Mastow is probably how he pronounces it would, as the, the rest of the world. Would, uh, would I know him from anything else? Because uh, I don't recognize the name. He wrote and directed Breakdown with Kurt Russell. Okay. And he directed uh, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Okay. Which I, I, which I think it's an unfortunate yeah. rap. I think that's a really cool movie. Yeah, it's an underrated movie. Um, and he's done some other stuff. Not not a whole lot. I, I would have thought I would have seen more of them. But um, he's, he's had a decent career in both uh, film and television. Um, just to get this out of the way, because there was a bit of, I think, unjust controversy about this movie. It's because it's about an American submarine crew capturing an Enigma machine from a German U-boat in 1942. Now, in reality, the British are the first ones to have captured an Enigma machine, and they did it in 1941. The HMS Bulldog captured an Enigma machine from the German U-boat 110, you know, well before this. And it was a daring mission. It was very important to the war effort. And, you know, so there was, I guess, some resentment, particularly in Great Britain, about this movie that, you know, portrays an American crew as doing it. But this movie never made any claims to being based on a true story. Right. Or being a true story, it's it's simply a World War II adventure film. And while I can I understand that you know it, you know it probably shouldn't have, you know I just I think they got their nose out of joint unjustifiably. I actually I do remember this this controversy, if you want to call it that, from the time you know of course it was you know it was two thousand, so it wasn't like uh wasn't like today where like social media would blow it up to I saw like a you know an article about it or something like that but I mean ha- having just rewatched it and realizing that uh you know at the end of the movie they list three miss- missions that did this and the first two of them were British you know they <laughs> they list the real life missions like you know uh, what do you want you know <laughs> like they, right. they, came, they came right out and said the first two missions were british you know like the, the the americans did one too but it was in 1944 you know like yeah whatever it's entertainment right, right exactly it's a it's a it's a made-up war film and they appropriated the story to do it and i i understand some some resentment towards that but it's just like it's you know this is just a it's just a story you know right and it doesn't even claim to be based on true events which right a lot they're not of, trying to know, steal really... valor Really right. fake movies even will throw in based on true events and that, you know, people actually once did something remotely similar to this. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. No, there was there was no attempt to, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Although, but, you know, it, it's, it's it's like, you know, I understand this, the reaction, though. I mean, given the circumstances, I, I do I do understand the reaction. 
Uh, this movie falls more in with like movies like you know Guns of Navarone, sure, or Where Eagles Dare. For you sure. know, it's yeah. it's something that took place during a real historical event, but it's not true history or you know any of the westerns we tend to enjoy inspired by true events is the vague wording that should have been used but again they don't even say that they don't you know they don't even refer to that no exactly so i you know again i I mean maybe i would feel differently if i was a British sailor who took part in World War II and helped capture an Enigma machine, but... Well, I mean, I guess you could feel like, you know, why not tell that story? But at the same time, like, I don't know why it hasn't been told yet either, <laughs> you know? Or maybe it has. You know, because it's you know, American studios spending American exactly. for American audiences, right. you know? Right. Yeah, you know, and the, the, let's face it. I mean, because this movie is... Not, I don't want to really want to say action-packed, but once it kicks off, it doesn't let up. I mean, there's just tension upon tension, you know, and the movie just keeps moving. There's very little downtime, even if there isn't any, you know, imminent danger of, you know, contact between, you know, enemy subs or, you know, gunfire between, you know, uh, sailors. That once the mission go, gets underway, right. there is nonstop tension. Just from the, the the regular danger of being in a submarine that could collapse and crush in on you. Yeah, at any time. I mean that that is. I mean that's one of the great things about submarine movies, right? Is just the like just the innate tension, the innate drama of being in this little you know cigar tube thing, <laughs> you know, hundreds of meters under the water as it may be or whatever. Um, and, you know, having people just confined in this space, like just seeing personalities like have to get along <laughs> in this in this enclosed space is almost like a, you know, like a one act play where nobody ever leaves the room. Right. Like. Right. Well, it's and it's 24 hour work. So imagine like having to work with your colleague for 24 hours. Sure. And you just never get away from them for months on end. Yeah. yeah. And it's cramped and it stinks and you're underwater. Yeah. yeah you all smell. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, no place to really take a shower or yeah. clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. History was the worst. Yeah. Fresh eggs, unless someone decides to crush one to make a story. Right, and then he doesn't get fresh. So waste. Be the first one to get powdered eggs after that, as he should be. Yeah, that's a waste of food. Oh yeah, and especially on a submarine hmm. where all you got is what's what's on there. Right. So this movie is, I mean, it's it's got a. a, a list of killer i mean killer actors in it i mean matthew mcconaughey who is of course you know a a legit star and and a fantastic actor is the lead but then you know you've got you know harvey keitel supporting him you've got i mean bill paxton who is a absolute favorite the patron saint of the tv movie rewind podcast still cannot accept that he's gone what over five years later you know, since he's passed, I didn't. I didn't remember that he was in this movie, and it turns out there was good reason for that, uh, which you'll yeah. get to. Well, but you know, even with 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 that, you know, we we've, we've got um, uh, John Bon Jovi who's in it. You know, for you know, maybe not a, known for his acting, but is is solid in this. Yeah, he's no, he's fine to the point where, like, when I first saw this uh, in the theater with you. 
it wasn't until much later into the film, long after he had had speaking parts, like at the dinner at the beginning, like long after that, it wasn't until finally, like when they were on U five seven one, that I recognized it was John. Oh, yeah, that's John too. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought, and I thought, um, because because actually, you know, Paxton's character, I think, mentions him going to the academy with with uh, with uh, um, Emmett. Was it Emmett? Was this, it was the character's name? And I was like, yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, so we're gonna see more with them, and maybe them, right? You know, like I was like, okay, so we'll get to see like John Bon Jovi and act, and like really didn't like he he was just kind of an extra, like he didn't have a lot to do. Well, that's it, really where this movie fools you because I you know, I was the same. I thought it was gonna uh, him and the the other guy. The ensign who's we, we, we meet at his wedding that the movie begins kind of at, we, we were introduced to the submarine heroes mm-hmm. at the guy's wedding. Right. And, you know, I knew he was doomed because, you know, that's the rule of these movies. Sure, just got married. Yeah. But I figured he would be dying like towards the end. Right. This Spoiler. movie. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, Oops. <laughs> I, I, oh, I just want to bring up. A few I mean, I don't care. Members. I'm just joking. Because Jack Noseworthy is also fantastic yes. as um, Seaman Wentz, who is the the uh, radio and sonar operator. And he's great because he's trying to, you know, give these, these uh, deliver these lines about what he's supposedly hearing under these headsets. And he's able to deliver it as if. He is in mortal danger from what he's hearing. Right. And and at least for my untrained ear, and I don't know, maybe he knows German, but he pulls off his line. He sure does. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved him in uh, in uh, in uh, Idle Hands. He was awesome in Idle Hands. Yes, he was. Another underrated movie. Uh, and then uh, um, Jake Weber, who people might remember from the Dawn of the Dead remake yes. or the husband in Medium is playing like the OSS spy who's kind of in charge of this whole mission. And at first you almost think like he's going to be this, you know, the guy who starts off as all in charge and then turns to jelly once everything goes down. And he kind of does a little bit, but he does equate himself throughout the film. Not to the extent that movie movies like this might have usually done. do. Yeah. yeah. Where he's like, cowering in a corner right. and is yeah, useless for most yeah. of the movie yeah, yeah he has his his moment of stage fright and then he comes back and and uh as i'm sure you'll get to he does have a pivotal pivotal role to play <laughs> yeah. yeah and then uh you know tc carson who plays the cook um you may not recognize his face but genre fans and video game fans will definitely know his voice because he does the voice of Mace Windu in almost every Star Wars video game and animated series that featured Mace Windu. He's voicing Mace Windu, and he's also the voice of Kratos from the God of War games. Oh, so no that, kid. That's interesting. So, that's very interesting. Yeah, I've played the God of War. I'm not sure I've played too many. I've played many Star Wars video games, but I don't know if I've played any with Mace Windu, but certainly played the God of War games. The only other thing I can recall actually seeing him in is uh, Final Destination 2. Oh, right on. Oh, wait, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Um, Before we go any further, I'm going to deliver my Whip Pistol Award winner. And I was really, you know, struggling between Jack Noseworthy and Bill Paxton. 
But then when I really, really thought about it, I figured I had to go a little off, you know, off base than what we normally do. And I had to give it to the sound department because sound is so damn important in this movie. Without this, this killer sound effects and tension, it's just a bunch of guys looking around, you know, at the corners of the screen. But with this, you know, between the sonar sounds and the creaking of the sub and, and all of this, I really had to give it to the sound design and the sound team. Uh, we're going to start with John Johnson, who actually won an Academy Award for sound editing on this film. I was going to say, didn't this win an award? Yeah. And then we have Awards. Uh, Steve Maslow, Greg Landecker, Rick Klein, Ivan Sharrock, Keith Bilderbeck, Tim Gedman, Gedimer, Sandy Gendler, Charles Maines, and Angelo Palazzo, who were all working on the sound and sound editing and sound design. And yeah, they did just did such a killer job. I figured they'll have to split the whiff this will award for uh, this episode. Yeah, we can't afford to send that many. Do you, uh, do you guys want to go ahead with yours or do it as we go on? I was uh, say, uh, do you have one? or? I, yeah, I do. No, I was, I mean... It's a tough choice given that, you know, among the people you had named, but also, you know, uh, David Keith and, and Harvey Keitel are in the movie. Um, but I'm going to give it to Jack Noseworthy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to be able to do it again. Um, I just wanted to highlight him as an actor, and I thought he was fantastic in this. Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way and was leaning that way as well. I also, you know, considered even though he's Harvey Keitel and he's mm -hmm. certainly been a leading man, like, I mean, this this was a character role for him. Yep. And he, you know, he he owned it, like you know. So I thought he might be a good, a good one as well. I just I just couldn't necessarily pull the trigger on that, you know, because he's but, like I tell, you know. It's actually very fitting because it's it's oh he is almost doing the Whit Bissell role <laughs> of the you know all these war movies have to have that the veteran yeah the veteran you know. Um, enlisted man yeah absolutely who, like it is everybody who both the who both the enlisted men and the officers all lean on right to get them through the mission i mean it is it is a character role like that that is exactly where you would see the character actor you know the veteran character actor in a movie they just happen to have harvey Keitel did it and he did great um the the only other one i you know i thought was sort of noteworthy was the was the uh the idiot italian kid I don't remember his name. Mazzola. <laughs> oh, um, Eric Palladino as Mazzola. Yeah, I mean he he, he delivered. I mean, he, right, right. It's there's excellent always going to be the panicky antagonistic guy on the group. Yeah, um, there, there the, needs the, to be one, and he did it. <laughs> the poor guy who spends most of the movie alone in the back. You know, the mechanic. You know, oh, he's yeah, yeah. fantastic too. Oh though. yeah, Tank. Tank, um, yeah. Um, honestly, tough choices all around. Thomas, we didn't mention Thomas Kretschmann. I mean, he's a smarvy, yeah. evil, you know, Kriegsmariner, but. Dave Power was Tank. Okay. But yeah, um, it's, it's, it's always hard to root for a Nazi. Right. It's, and it's hard to pick, like, you know, in. in, in no, uh, God, you can't even make a joke about that anymore. Like, <laughs> God damn, like, the, the, the fucking, like, the 21st century, man. 
Um, Seven uh, years ago, you could make well, maybe not seven. Ten years ago, you could make all sorts of jokes about that and not be taken seriously. Now you cannot afford to not (laughs) to be mistaken. Someone will take you seriously. Yeah. And with our wide reaching audience, you never know. Yeah, there would be three or four people who might exactly. All right. So the movie opens with assuming they can hear us over the vacuum. The, the movie opens you know, with the German sub on patrol in the Atlantic and it's sinking ships and they're doing evil German things because they're evil Germans during World War II. And if they are damaged by a destroyer. And when they send out their request for help, it's intercepted. And, you know, the Americans intercept it. So we devise the plan that we're going to send an American sub disguised as a German repair sub and take them by surprise and capture an Enigma machine. So that's where we're introduced to the um, American crew and their commander, Bill Paxton. And it it starts off at this this party, which is a wedding for uh, one of the, the ensigns who, again, we all, I thought was going to be a much bigger character in the movie. Right. And, you know, Matthew McConaughey comes in as our lead, which we all knew from the trailers sure. and everything, he would be our lead. And, you know, we, we, he, we meet, you know, the different sailors as he walks his way through, including, you know, John Bon Jovi, who is quickly established as being, you know, his best friend, um, Harvey Keitel, Kaitel, as we said, you know, the veteran enlisted man and um, all the other, you know, characters you need to have in a war, war movie. Right? Help me out here, though. Like, rewinding back to the year 2000, how big of a star was Matthew McConaughey at that point? Was it unusual for him to be leading a movie at that point? Or or was this right in his wheelhouse then? This I, was right in his wheelhouse. Yeah, or at least at the beginning this, of it. this yeah. type of movie. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think he was doing much more like, you know, like the Dallas Buyers Club of a more prestige stuff. Right. But he was definitely well known enough and an up and coming star that you would expect to see um, in stuff like this. And in terms of um, Bill Paxton, like this is around the time like he was starting to survive films. So while I was pretty <laughs> darn sure he was going to die, I thought maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> well, he- He'd already done Twister by this point, so he was more of a right. household name leading man. Yeah, like I, I was certain he was going to die, but I did have a little bit of hope. I was, I was left with a little bit of hope because of his recent track record that, okay, well, there's a glimmer there, but no, I mean, you know. And, yeah, so while everybody's partying, this is where we also learn that, you know, he's second in command of the sub, and he was looking to gain his own command, but we find out that, you know, his commanding officer, played by Bill Paxton, couldn't make the recommendation and told the board that, you know, he's not ready for his to command his own sub yet. And while we don't find that out right now, we find it out a little bit later. The reason is he's too close and too friendly with the crew. And, you know, despite his qualifications and despite his his heavy work ethic and, you know, he busts his butt to be the best, you know, lieutenant on the sub. Bill Paxton points out that, you know what, you're not ready to make that, that hard decision. 
that Ron, guy. Uh, yes, that Ron Livingston. Ron Livingstone. Yes, yes, Ron Livingston. Yeah. He reminds me he of Ron too. Livingston. Yes, and it, I, I, I thought, thought it was it, him too, as well. I thought it was him as well, but it is not. Yeah, I, there's like a there's there's him and whoever this guy is. There's the there's the guy who's on um. I think it's on CSI or something who looks so much like Colin Hanks. It's confused me multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But you know, we, we now are introduced to um, Jake Weber and David Keith. Cause I know I'm going to make a mistake. <laughs> identify him as yeah. David. Right. Uh, we were talking just before we started recording that, you know, yeah, it would be amazing if Keith David and David Keith made a movie together. Yeah. You know, mismatched buddy cop movie. It would be awesome. That'd be a fun movie, yeah. Um, they are a Marine major and an OSS um, agent. I don't know what they were. Yeah, I don't know. Operative, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. They are going to be going along on this mission to steal the enigma machine and since you know it's a submarine and space is at a premium as it is they of course can't um you know ship off with a squad of marines to conduct the raid no he's going to have to train some of these you know sailors on how to assault an enemy uh u-boat and capture the Enigma machine and get out alive, sink it, and do all this without the Germans ever being any the wiser, because once, you know, the Germans know we've captured an Enigma machine, they'll change everything, you know, instantly. So they gotta capture this without any suspicion of them to having ever been there. And we also meet Jack Noseworthy as Radio Man Wentz, who we find out can speak German, as can Jake Weber, you know, the only two German speakers. They will be very important into in the mission to help infiltrate U-571. And we get underway, and immediately, you know, it, we, we get into how, you know, at the beginning of America's involvement in World War II, most of our subs were brought out of retirement from their service in World War One, And Bill Paxton points out, like, you know, this ship is older than most of its crew, which, you know, even at 20 years old would be older than most of the, you know, crew on the ship and how, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's rattly, it's rusty, but, you know, we built them good. So it'll, it'll do the job. But the, the looks that are exchanged between, uh, David Keith and Jake Weber has, you know, all those groaning noises are made and as Tank is going around, you know, tapping the pipes, checking for leaks, and just with a little slight tap, managed to rupture one of the pipes. And, and, the, and the captain's just like, yeah, put a patch on it, we'll fix it later. That's the life of a submariner. I couldn't do it. Well, no, no. No, it seems miserable. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's even going to put, when they use their periscope, so much water comes down. He's in full, he looks like the Gordon's Fisher. Yeah, he's got to put yeah. his oilies on. Yeah. <laughs> you could see Hirsch looking like, what the hell? Like, why is he, <laughs> why, why is he suiting up for this? And then, and then all the water starts pouring. The water out. pours down. 
And I'll tell you, I would just every time a drop of water came from the ceiling, I would be in like full on panic. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Oh yeah, no, any drop of condensation, I'd be immediately checking. Yeah. And later during the dinner scene, as the boat's rocking back and forth, and the plates are going all over the place, and they're just trying to spoon soup into their mouth. Again, everybody else is like, it's casual. This is how it is. Matthew McConaughey, it's all right, all right, all right. Right. <laughs> well, and plus, it almost seems like the food is not moving as much for everyone else except for Hirsch. And, right. Uh, I don't understand, like, why wouldn't they just put, like, indentations on the table so that it could hold a bowl in place or something like that? Like, that seems like a really easy solution for, for rolling seas, right? You know what? They're sailors. They know what they're doing. Yeah, I guess it's, you know, so. a way of life for them. It's it's second nature. Well, they probably, like, figured out ages ago if you put something on the bottom of the glass or whatever, it won't move around. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It's a fun scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, the only thing that I'm surprised, you know, and I, I never really occurred to me until, again, watching this movie is the, with, the, with the more critical eye. They don't actually show, because Keith, uh, almost did it, David <laughs> Keith, tells him that, you know, don't worry, I'm going to, you know, because Matthew McConaughey is like, these guys are sailors. They're not, you know, they're not soldiers. They're not, they're not fighters. They, they don't know. They haven't been trained for this. And he says, don't worry, I'll train them. They'll be ready. They don't actually do a training montage. Right? No. I'm not really sure how they could, again, the cramped, um, confined space of the submarine. But I would have thought even like just a throwaway scene of him, you know, just showing him how to, you know, operate uh, a submachine gun. Or, or all of them just in a locker room being dog tired and be like, oh, I can't believe we made it through. Just something. It's and, just and, I'll and train they, you. And then, yeah, then they're on the boat. And then with David Keith being, you guys learned a lot. Yeah. You know, you're going to be fine. So this, we, this is this is a narratively, it's it's a lean narrative. They get right to it, <laughs> right? It's um, I mean, it's all to the movie's benefit, oh, yeah. right? Right. Well, I feel like, I mean, and this does feel like it's it's a it's a throwback style, you know, war movie, especially in the way that it's done. But I feel like if this was done in the '60s, we would have had that montage because they loved well, those mon they the loved 80s, training montage in those movies. Sure, sure. If it was the '80s, we would have got the training montage with the kick-ass song. That's yes, true. yes. I feel like, and it's weird though. I feel like in every other respect, it is like it feels like a movie that's old, that's more than twenty-three years old. Like just the, especially the first half of it, the way it's shot and everything. I'm like, this feels like it's like right out of the 1980s. Like, like this feels like the kind of movie that Top Secret was like, was like, you know, satirizing, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's interesting that you say that like the one thing where it betrays itself is that it doesn't, it doesn't uh, indulge itself in that, in the, uh, the extraneous training scene uh, to the kick-ass song or whatever. Yep. No, and nor does it, you know, because again, most war movies, especially if they deal with World War II or even Westerns now, they all have to try to come across as a more prestigious film. None of them think, nobody really seems like, well, I just want to make a fun Western or, you know, and, and again, in today's PC environment to say a fun war film, you know, but that's, you know, these used to be the staples to the Saturday, you know, matinee audience. Right. Yeah, this, you know, and this has no pretension. Of, you know, it's just a it's a passable, serviceable submarine movie, right? Like, like 
fun to watch it doesn't necessarily stick with you or you know there's, there's not a lot of moral quandaries or, or uh you know there's uh you know you won't see any of these people on afi's top 100 movie characters of all time or anything exactly. like that um but it's an enjoyable submarine movie which is a genre unto itself you know exactly. well, and again thanks to the cast i you know you mentioned that matthew mcconaughey plays you know lieutenant tyler I've forgotten Tyler was his name in the movie. It just I just see Matthew McConaughey. Sure. And the, the right. same with, with, with Harvey Keitel. Right. You know, I couldn't tell you his character's name. Other I mean, than, I won't. I mean, they call him Chief. Because I won't Chief. be able to tell you the character's names next week. <laughs> you know, sure. I just watched it a couple of days ago. That's all. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the master chief. So he goes by Chief. Right. You know, that's It's all very easy. So they get to where they're going to meet up with the U571. And, you know, they go off and, you know, it's Matthew McConaughey, John Bon Jovi. I can't believe it's not Ron Livingston. <laughs> um, rabbit and Trigger are the nicknames of two of the smaller guys. There's always a rabbit. Yeah. Always. Um, Jake Weber, uh, David Keith, Jack Noseworthy. Tank and Mazzola. Well, Wentz, I at least remember guys. They're all heading over on the boat, and you know, as they're getting closer, they're you know, the Germans are calling out, and Jake Weber's supposed to be replying in German, but he's starting to get a little panicked and he, and he can't get the words out. And you know, everybody's like, you know, say something, say something, you know, you, you're gonna blow it. And Jack Noseworthy cuts in and starts answering back for him. And he does an amazing job of like, oh, we're all electricians. We're all we're all mechanics. We're, we're very skilled and we're going to get you guys going in no time. And that gives Jack Weber the chance to like, yes, yes. And and he even, go, you know, comes right back into us like, and I have your mail and it stinks of perfume and this filthy letters from, you know, French prostitutes in here. I should throw this disgusting filth right over the sea into the water. And the guy's like, no, no, you know, because again, you don't even have probably many books as entertainment on this thing. You, right. You're looking for any type of uh, anything you can get to help, you know, you throw. Now, do you think it was supposed to be fear there or did he just screw up and forget what to say? Like I might if I was suddenly standing in front of people. I think a little bit of both, you know, I mean, you, you can train for, you know, war your entire life, but you never know what's going to happen until you're right into the thick of it. Like, I just wonder if part of it was if, if in all the planning, it either, he either forgot or it just hadn't like fully occurred to him exactly what he would say to them when they showed up, <laughs> you know, like, oh, we're well, he obviously had, there, you know? I, I think he had in his head lines that he would you would think, that. yeah, you would think they were but, I mean, prepared it, but yeah. I could see, like, you know, again, stage fright, you know, more or less. Yeah. Like, I don't think he was afraid, afraid for for his life. Like, he knew exactly what he was getting into. And as you find out later, he knows exactly what they're getting into. But just like, yeah, um, he just kind of, like, you know, just freezes there for a second, just not sure what to say. I can't count how many times, you know, I've gone into a meeting or whatever, you know, and I'm like, I know what I'm going to say, and this is what I'm going to say, and how I'm going to say it. And I sit down, they say, do you have anything to say? No. <laughs> right, right. It's like I did two seconds ago, but now, yeah. You know, I was I I was in my senior class play back in high school, and my very first scene, the first night that we performed, and I had been fine all throughout rehearsals. My very first scene, I stepped out on the stage and completely blanked. 
Yes, you know, exactly. And, you know, and and the other the other character, you know, the other actor sort of prompted me, and I was like, uh. And then he just very smartly was like, "Are you here to do to do to do?" And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then from then on, I was fine. Every you know, and I even had a like, right. I had one of like four monologues in the play, and I was fine. It was just like that first moment stepping exactly. Out. But it wasn't, um, it wasn't fear, right? Because like no, you were prepared, it just happened. Yeah, that, yeah, that's kind of what I feel like happened there. It just yeah, like oh, exactly. it's just one of those things where it's just like, oh shit, he blanked and had I think no was, idea what know, to say all of a sudden. It's like stage fright, for lack of a better word. But it's just like right. you know, just a, a momentary paralysis, you know, like a stage freeze. You know, you're right. just like, oh, what was I doing? Because you know, I've been doing this for weeks now, but I haven't been doing it with all the lights and the people and all that. You know, like right. it's just a little bit different. And until you acclimate, sometimes you uh, you kind of hit a little speed bump. I don't know. But, right, uh, suddenly that's, it's that's, just that's, slightly different than what you had prepared for, and, and yeah, whoa, that's what I that's what I took it as, and, and right. yeah, he recovered, and he and he, you know, he had a role to play later on. <laughs> now, unfortunately, one of the German sailors spots them holding their submachine guns, and realizes, well, why would they be bringing submachine guns if they're here to help fix our ship? And you know, the it goes off slightly prematurely <laughs> and this i mean it's from this point on the movie really does not let up right and we're what maybe a half hour into the film at this point and it's all been good up to here all good you know great character building great story establishing and and plot establishing but now it just kicks in and 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 it's you know all a roller coaster from here right like it does it does take a you know a moment to get to this point but it doesn't it doesn't drag it it doesn't linger it like no, you, said before, no I, you don't get the long you know montage scene or any of that it, it's kind of like trimmed to the it's it's trimmed just so you can understand who the cast is like who, who you're about to see for the rest of the movie and as he had said earlier in the film when you know matthew mcconaughey had said to uh uh david keith like you know these guys are just sailors David Keith also points out that, well, so are the men they're going to be fighting. Right. They're not used to this type of thing either. And so not only does the element of surprise help, but yeah, they're fighting guys who weren't trained really for, you know, this type of combat either. So really what they, you know, the Germans first try to do is, you know, get below decks and, and seal off the ship and submerge. You know, we'll drown these guys as they're trying to get in here. And, you know, it's it, again, you get some of these tense seconds, tense, you know, scenes as the Germans are like trying to just pull down the hatch while the Americans are like, don't let them close this hatch, don't let them close this hatch, you know, forcing it up and throwing grenades down. And there's exchange of gunfire. You know, one of the, the American sailors is killed. I can't believe it's not John, Ron Livingston is shot <laughs> and injured. Um, and, 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 but T.C. Carson not the first to die. No. In fact, does not die at all. Yes. <laughs> well, but he's groundbreaking. <laughs> he's actually not on the the mission to capture the boat. He's still over on the American ship. Oh, does he not? Oh, I guess he does die then. No, no. just wait, wait. No. Wait. Oh, yeah, wait yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Spoilers. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, I was just trying to make a joke about like, you know, usually the black guy's the of first course. one to die. And, yes, of course. And uh, I was happy that he did not. <laughs> and even in 2000, that was still, you know. Yeah, no, it's, no yeah. it's noteworthy that it didn't happen in 2000. 
Yeah, so they're assaulting the ship, and, you know, they're making headways, and, you know, some of the Germans are putting up a good fight, but even at one point as they, they storm the, um, I would say, the sleeping area, the bunk area, you know, uh, Mazzola dives through with his machine gun and's like, ah, and, you know, all the Germans are like, oh, no, we, we surrender, we're, we're done, and, you know, Mazzola just to kind of show that he's the jerk in the movie has to kind of keep, you know, but I guess it's okay to... You know, he's only picking on Germans during World War II. Yeah. Um, they managed, you know, they captured the yeah, What the hell? He was an Italian. What the hell? <laughs> well, well, and again, I mean, American. Point, yeah, I know. I know. I'm just as, saying. As point, pointed out, Jack Noseworthy is of German descent. Sure. Which is why and he, he was afraid. Germany, so right. And he was afraid, like, don't let the guys know I'm German. Yeah. I mean, nobody's worried about being Italian, right? I mean. Right. Okay. <laughs> what was funny about that line too is, is um, when he said, "You know, don't tell anyone." Is uh, Hirsch, who is presumably German as well, specifically says, "Well, you have a German last name." Well, exactly. I guess no one else noticed that. <laughs> okay, yeah. when, but you know what? I think maybe even at the time, did people really consider what you know people's last names? I don't know. Maybe. I guess, you know, you grew up a guy with, named Wentz and Hirsch you grew up with a guy named Tyler and Hirsch. You don't think much about it, you know? No, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have either. But I'm like, I'm sure it must have crossed someone else's mind at some point. But, you know, I don't think he wanted anybody to know that he could, you know, sure. actually even speak German. I mean, again, right. where, where did he learn it? Or where did he? Uh, his parents or something like he, he grew up in a German speaking family. And, yeah, his parents, I believe, and Brown believe were and, immigrants. And Brown University. Oh, at Brown University, right, Rhode Island, yes. Right in our backyard. Oh, yeah. Right in our backyard, that's right. So they capture the Enigma machine, and they capture several of the sailors, and they're getting ready to scuttle U-571, and, you know, um, uh, David Keith is putting the Enigma machine in the raft to take back, and the prisoners are being brought over to the boat, and uh, T.C. Carson is the one numbering them and yelling in their faces like, ha ha, you've all been captured. Uh, Bill Paxton is kind of overseeing everything and he just kind of takes a look over his shoulder and sees a torpedo racing towards his boat because the actual German repair sub has gotten there, figured out what was going on and they blow the hell out of the American sub. Now, at this at this point, and and uh, I hate to be too much of a realist here, I just found myself thinking, like in 1941, from a distance, how were they able to like parse this? I, it is, <laughs> it is very questionable. Yeah, <laughs> like that. We don't know how long they were there true, observing, maybe true. through the periscope, right? Sure. And maybe they saw like, all right, so these guys are being captured and, you know, um, yeah, it, it's it's had to be for sure. But, you know, for the sake of entertainment, it, it happened. <laughs> yeah. John Bon Jovi takes wreckage to the face and is killed. Yes. And it was just before that point. In fact, specifically when he was taking pictures um, in, inside the submarine that I realized it was John Bon Jovi. Right. <laughs> First time around. It was like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, I can't believe it's not Ron Livingston who was in a stretcher being, you know, rafted back. The poor guy, just you know, tear you strapped to a stretcher, sinking, 
you know, calling for help, but, you know, nobody can help them because it's utter chaos and everybody's struggling for their own lives. You know, Matthew McConaughey instantly yells like everybody, because they're still on the U571. The few that are still there is like, get back inside and get ready to dive. And Bill Paxton, who is in the water already dying, is yelling to McConaughey to take her down. Like, don't do it now. Don't try to rescue anybody. Everybody, you know, you're only going to make it if you head down now. Now, from this point is, you know, uh, David Keith disappears from the movie. It's easy to understand why his character is gone. You just, you know, accept that he was killed along with most everybody else during the explosion. But you, unlike everybody else, you don't see what happened to him. And I guess they filmed it, but the effect just did not work. So and I, they probably didn't have time. They just decided to leave it out. So it's a bit of a, you know, it's a little weird to, to see that this important character doesn't have a death scene. But again, it's not like you can't suss out what happened. Right. I'm not sure so, if I noticed that the first time around. Yeah, no, I, I didn't either. You know, I think I just assumed like, you know, whoever's left is whoever's left. Like something happened to him. Yeah, it's it's very chaotic. So yeah, the way no, it, it, edited, it, was, it was very frenetic. And, that, and that's the first time that it felt like that is actually the first time that this felt like, OK, this is a modern movie. This isn't a movie from the 1970s or the 1980s. Right. Like 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 this is uh yeah. This is some frenetic editing that you would not have seen back then. Right. They're making the action really feel violent as opposed to dramatic. Yeah. 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 So our surviving, you know, crew members are now trying to get the U-571, which is still damaged. And they were just about to sink to dive. And of course, everything's written in German. You know, they may be submariners and they kind of know generally like the layout of the sub. But, you know, um, for instance, they can't, he's like, Clara, Clara, what does this mean? And since fortunately Wentz and Hirsch both survived and both speak and read German, they can at least help transfer. It's like, Clara means clear. And that's, again, when, when McConaughey says, all right, so a white light on this ship is equivalent to a green light on our ship, white for green. Wentz hits the radio to try to listen in, to try to figure out where the enemy sub is and moving around them. Everybody else is running around trying to, you know, figure out which switch does what and get the, the thing to dive. And Tank is in the is is in the torpedo room trying to prepare torpedoes. Can they can fire back? But he's yelling for back. This like I don't, I can't read any of these switches. And McConaughey's like yelling at at, at Wentz, go back and help Tank. And once is like, I hear screws in the water, torpedoes in the water, because he's got the headset on. And McConaughey's like, nope, you stay there. Hirsch, you go help. And, you know, Hirsch goes running back to the you know back of the ship. And they're all trying to like, you know, what am I? Because Hirsch isn't a submariner. He can read German, but he doesn't know what he's reading or what, you know. He doesn't know what he's looking for. Right. right. So they're all struggling to hit switches and get torpedoes going. And, you know, when they when they have one thing, they hit it and then they realize, oh, wait, we didn't flood the tubes. We're going to find the valves to flood the tubes so we can get these, you know, these things to launch out. And then we're going to open the other end of the tube so they don't just blow up. In the... It is fantastically done. 
Yeah, this is like the first I, I you know, I did see this back when it was in theaters. Um, but this was the first thing that I didn't really remember that was a I was like, oh, this is a good switch. Like this isn't something I've seen in another submarine movie where you where you have to be, you know, you're you're in the enemy's, you know, uh, damaged submarine and trying to figure out how to use it. Like that was a little a good little wrinkle on the story. Star Trek three. Yeah. Yes, when they captured the Klingon yeah. and they're all trying to, and they're all pointing at this button, this yep. button. I think it's this button. It's this button or nothing. That's what I think of every time I see this movie. <laughs> there's a, there's another, uh, there's another. Um, well, I'll talk about it later. <laughs> Go for it. No, no, no. no. Well, I'll talk about it when when we come to that point in the story. Oh, okay. It's another comparison to another movie that I, that that I thought very clearly of, but but we'll wait till we get to that scene. Gotcha. So through skill and teamwork and determination, they're able to sink the enemy sub and they resurface looking for survivors. But by the time they get back up there, the only survivors are T.C. Carson, who's obviously an excellent swimmer. And (laughs) yeah, wait a minute. (laughs) And the. Um, they don't know it, but the captain of the U five seven one, who they take captain, who lies and says that he's the electrician. He may have been an electrician. Yeah, but he didn't tell him he was, who the, was captain. the captain of the ship. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, he didn't want to give himself up. I I understand that. So now we get a little bit more drama as they try to collect themselves and everybody's at, you know, Matthew McConaughey is now in charge, whether he wants it or not. And everybody's arguing about what they should do. And Matthew McConaughey and uh, Hirsch have both decided that, you know what, we still have a mission to accomplish. We can't call for rescue because if our call for rescue is intercepted by the Germans, they'll realize we've captured an Enigma machine. They'll scramble their codes. They'll, yeah, whatever. <laughs> You know, and, you know, this is more important than just our lives. Because so, so anybody listening, so they understand, like, not only is it these machines, but they have code books and these code books have like expiration dates. And uh, and if they realize that they've been compromised, they're just going to like they're going to stop using those codes right away. Right. Right. <laughs> and all this will have been for nothing. Yeah. And that, you know, this is war and, you know, this is more important than our own lives. So. They, you know, they decide that they're going to try to attempt for England. And, of course, you know, some of the crew is like, but that means we'll have to go right through where, you know, the German wolf packs are. You know, we'll never make it. You know, they all start panicking. And Matthew McConaughey makes the mistake, which Harry Cartel will point out in a few scenes, that by saying, like, well, I don't have all the answers. You know, I, I don't really know. But, you know, this is our best chance and this is our mission. So this is what it's going to be. And, uh, you know, Harvey Keitel takes him aside after that and says, you can never say you don't know. A captain knows everything. A captain is an almighty presence aboard his ship. You don't ever say you don't know. Even if you don't know, the captain always has the answers. So, again, we're kind of being shown that, you know, this is why Matthew McConaughey was passed up for his promotion. Not that. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. Not that he isn't capable. He's just not 
ready. Right. Like he knows every word of the book, but he's just not ready for it. And that just seems unfair because I tell people I don't know all the time at my job. Yes, but I don't see you, you captain in a submarine, so <laughs> granted. Yeah, but, unless uh, you're in life or death situations with you know the the fate of an entire world war in your hands. You I, know, did, yeah, I think, I think in most network in, equipment and people do like their internet. Yeah, but I, in in most situations, I think it's you know it's almost kind of brave to admit when you don't know something because right. You know, but uh, but there are certain situations where yeah, people are expecting um, a firm leadership, you know. <laughs> Well, the thing, exactly. Kinds. It feels it feels natural, and you can see both points. Like, because when he says, "I don't know," it's like it doesn't even phase me. It's just like that's expected. Like, you know, right. how would you? But also, when Harvey Keitel's like, "You're leading these guys, and you need to, you know, um, you need to, and, you know, give commands, even if you don't right, know who are who are already doubt, quickly and do it." Are yeah. already doubting your leadership right. because you're not the captain. Yeah, right. he makes a it's a salient point. Like, you don't really have the option. You don't really have the option to say, "I don't know" in this situation. Right. <laughs> you know, you have I to mean, decide something. Mazzola's already inciting mutiny in many ways and saying that, you know, Harvey Keitel should be, you know, why isn't the chief in charge? Right. You know, because they have more faith in him. But yeah, there are situations where you cannot say, I don't know. One of them is when you're in charge of a submarine. Another is when you're on the Canadian 80s comedy series. You can't do that on television. Yes. Highly dangerous stakes. They, you know, there's, you know, uh, Tank is in charge of trying to get the ship repaired because, you know, it was already damaged and, you know, which he's able to do because he is more skilled. We should point out that the reason the Germans weren't able to do it is because all their mechanics were killed, you know, when the ship was damaged. So they didn't. The people who were left didn't have the skills that so Tank has. It's not just that Germans are idiots. Is, is what you're no. Saying. Okay. In fact, you might even say that it was because of the fine German engineering that Tank was able to get all this stuff fixed. Wow. Wow. What a stance to have. Okay. Never, never took you for a German lover. Wow. <laughs> That was a reference to um, the second Dirty Dozen movie, which I don't even think, you know, Lee Marvin's family has watched. (laughs) Um, So, you know, they get that stuff underway and, you know, almost again, almost immediately, you know, uh, Matthew McConaughey is being called above decks because there's a German scout plane flying around. And, you know, Mazzola's are like, you know, you know, it's a German scout. You know, Matthew McConaughey, like, it looks like a German scout plane. And uh, Mazzola's like, well, what's it doing here? And all I'm thinking is probably scouting <laughs> right. for Germany. <laughs> exactly. Like, you knew they were, you, you were going to be in their territory. Yeah, exactly. So, and again, Mazzola being, um, Mazzola is like, we got to shoot it down. You know, McConaughey's like, as far as that guy up there knows, we're on the same side. Right. So everybody just smile and wave, smile and wave. And, you know, Mazzola's panicking and like, oh, we got to shoot down, you know, yelling to, you know, Trigger and Rabbit who are near the, the deck gun. You know, oh, you got to shoot down. He's lying in a... And McConaughey is like, dude, you got to calm down. We got to play this out. It's our only real option. And, of course, you know, the plane flies by and, you know, doesn't attack. And he has to punch Mazzola in the face again to assert his command. 
which is a well, weird way to do it, but yeah. But well deserved, Jesus. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure, sure. Like in in movie, yeah, absolutely. And that's also when they turn and notice. Well, now there's a German destroyer that perhaps the German scout plane right was scouting for. Right, right. Like it wouldn't have been out here alone, you know. Yeah. So he sends Mazzola below decks to like go find Tank and tell him we got to get underway because we're not going to be able to go up against this German destroyer. Um. While that's happening, the German captain who has been captured is putting an escape plan or, you know, ready to destroy his own ship. He has knocked out Tank and tied him up. And that's when Mazzola stumbles across the situation and is shot and killed in the struggle to um, subdue the German, subdue the captain. Meanwhile, Hirsch. Rabbit, Trigger, and Tyler are up on deck trying to figure out what they're going to do because they only have one torpedo left in a tube that is not operational. And Hirsch kind of suggests, like, well, maybe, you know, the deck gun, if we hit the boat below the waterline, and uh, McConaughey's like, that won't work. We could probably yeah. hit that thing with 100 shells and it wouldn't sink. But it's a fair assessment. Like it's not going to do it if, if it's going to make like a tiny hole in a fairly large ship. It's not going to do anything. He points out that the structure just behind the bridge with the antenna is the radio room, and if we can at least take out the radio room, they won't be able to radio for help, and we can get away in time. So he sends, you know, Rabbit and Trigger down to man the deck guns as, you know, a German party is coming over to a raft to kind of assess the situation. Again, as far as they know, they're meeting a German crew on the German sub, but they gotta, again, we get, they gotta make sure that nothing gets out. Right. It's either, and, and, and at one point, uh, Hirsch had even said to, like, not only, you know, we either have to manage this so that we get away un, you know suspected or everybody has to die because the men on the ship know too much you know they have too much knowledge of american submarines and the situation that we're involved in they can't be captured this is a do or die mission now right because the, the calculus and, and they've said as much before is that if they can if they can keep the encryption, you know, if they can crack this encryption, they're going to save thousands of lives. Yes. You know, so their their dozen are gonna have to be their dozen or so are just gonna have to be risked for it. That's just all there is to it. Like that was always the mission. So Trigger and Rabbit Rabbit are able to get the one in a million shot at the radio room, blow up the radio room. They Rush below decks because now, of course, the destroyer is aware that, hey, these guys aren't friendly. Right. And they're trying to crash dive. But while that's while they're trying to do that, the captain, the German captain is trying to make his escape. McConaughey and Tank are able to subdue the captain again. And tie him up even more. And he's like, you know, Tank, I need you to get back there. And I need you to get, you know, us, you know, so we can dive. Because we're about to be wiped out by a German destroyer. And the poor guy was just blasted in the face. Yeah. At, like, full speed. So he's got to, like, I don't even know how he's able to think at this point. Well, and at this point, too, I would be like, you know what? 
you, you, yeah, you, you were following the rules of war. You captured a German. You, you're not supposed to execute him. But at this point, I think you've proven you have to kill him. It is now a matter of, you know, survival of your crew that this guy needs to be eliminated. But let me ask you guys a question. Sure, he would have thought of it that way. The captain, <laughs> the, uh, the the captain, yeah. Let me ask you, put, your, put, your, put yourselves in the place of the German. At what point do you just sit back and think, well, I hope these guys make it out because if they don't, then I'm going to die. Like, at what point do you do you put your own skin above the cause? Well, I mean, that's, you know, if it, it, you know, if you're a patriot to whatever your country is and you're a true believer, then, you know, you don't consider your own life. Right. You Which... consider, you know, the war effort. You know, obviously he was willing to sacrifice his life. Because he was a captain, right? He, he, he knows that lesson, yeah. And he well, and he, he well, he's also following because like there's the scene we didn't even mention it is the well, well before the uh, submarine is raided. There's that scene where they're um, the survivors of a boat that the U five seven one had already sunk earlier in the movie, like at the beginning, and they gun down those survivors. You know, orders are no, so they go sure. ahead and gun them down. Yeah, um, I, I mean, show that they're evil. <laughs> were it me like if i'm that guy like when the raid happens i just tell them yeah i'm the captain and i demand preferential treatment you know, yeah. you pull that move. You know, yeah I, I, it, you know per my station or whatever you know because what else are you gonna do at that point um i mean your orders are is to make life a living hell for everyone around you and that was true for for uh you know allied pow as well the idea was to stay as live and create as much problem as possible because if they're having to keep an eye on you that's fewer people at the front right sure yeah yeah i mean if this movie was you know in the opposite and this was you know matthew mcconaughey the last survivor of the america you know they'd be like look how heroic this guy is." right 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 you know right to his last breath trying to sabotage what the germans are doing but of course you know since the flip just like what an evil bastard right exactly he's doing what he's supposed to do you know there's a certain respect to that that he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do so they're able to get the ship to dive and you know we get you know this tense moment of them just squeaking under the destroyer and they know like you know these destroyers were pretty much the kryptonite of some i mean if well they're they're built specifically for submarines you know destroying submarines yeah. and they were really good at it yeah so you know they're they're crash diving and we get you know this this and it seems like and and I don't mean it seems like an attorney and like oh it's boring right. but in like no this is intense as they are being constantly depth charged. It's something else, yeah. I mean that it and becomes like is... the third star of the movie is the depth charges. Yeah. Well, that's and that's why I had to give it to the yeah. sound design team. I'm I'm also going to give it to the visual effects because I honestly think I remember being really kind of like impressed by those underwater explosions. Like I'm not mm-hmm. ever sh- I'm not sure that prior to this I ever saw like a clear like 
you know, underground bubble explosion before. Like, right. like put put yourself in, you know, the year 2000. Like, when would you have seen that? You know what I mean? Right. You only ever really saw what happened on the surface. Right. So, so I, I remember even back then being like, holy shit, that's really cool. Like, you know, now it's 23 years later and you, there's probably like a YouTube, you know, a YouTube channel devoted to underground, ex underwater explosions or whatever, you know, but right. well, the it's, it's slow motion, did, yeah. you know, bunches. Yeah. yeah. But at the time, yeah, I was like, which are fun yeah. as hell to watch, by the way. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Slow-mo guys. Oh, they rule. I love oh, yeah. those guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I remember like distinctly being like, that was probably like, Honestly, the only two things I remembered about this movie were that and John Bon Jovi being in it. Like, I didn't yes. remember any of the other actors. I kind of forgot Bill Paxton was in it too. Yeah, well, like, and I'm such a I'm such a super fan, but I forgot he was in it too. And it's because yeah, he is in it for a relatively not, short amount not, of time. Not in it for very long. Yeah. 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 So this is really where we see finally why Matthew McConaughey is such a skilled. Uh, officer because at one point he again he starts making decisions like okay our only chance now is if we can somehow he, and he, he talks tank can you get that last torpedo tube working I need a yes or no answer and tank is like yes I'll, I'll get it working okay well, first he says I don't know and then he gives a very abbreviated version of more or less a similar speech to Harvey Keitel and he's like no I need a yes or no answer which is fair. It's like, look, I need to know if it's completely after if we have a chance. Well, yeah, yeah, because this is his whole plan hinges exactly. on being able. Like, to how bad is it? Because I can't torpedo. see it. Is essentially what he's saying. Yeah. So you know, he tells the you know one of the guys, okay, you know, Mazzola's dead. I want you to put some debris and Mazzola's body into a torpedo tube, because here's what we're gonna do. And in all the while that they, he's like, we got to go deeper. You know, when they've talked about how crushed depth. Is the thing, um, check off, you know, yeah. So he comes up with this plan that we're gonna release the debris and oil in Mazzola's body so that it rises to the surface here and it'll look like the ship has been destroyed. When the destroyer comes to the debris field to you know investigate. We're going to rapidly surface over here. We'll be lined up for a perfect bow shot with our one torpedo to launch straight into it. We're going to bring the ship down, and that's how we get out of this live. Now, it's a great plan, only there's a few problems. One, as we said, Tank has to repair this torpedo tube. They have to survive the depth and the depth charges that are coming down or all around them. And hope that the destroyer does what he hopes they do. Yeah, fa go, like falls for the for the right. trick. Yeah, but I mean to be to be entirely fair to this movie, like for for the scenarios that they could have come up with, and you know it's going to be something you know uh, risky and, and crazy. Like it's the the way he explains it, it's like oh yeah, that could work. <laughs> yeah, and that's all their reaction as well. It's like oh well, yeah, well, all right. <laughs> Not that I have a lot of choice, but I do like it. It's like, okay, that, that seems like it could work. I mean, I'm sure this like Neil deGrasse Tyson would angrily tweet otherwise, but it's like, all right, yeah, yeah I, I think I can go with this. So at this point, this is this is where we get into some of the tropes that are just, you know, what I love in every submarine movie. Like every submarine movie uh, has, you know, the, the, the heroes have to dive below the rated depth. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, rivets are going to start 
start popping out of the pipes. Uh, gauges are gonna start shattering. Steam and water. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It, and I, you know, although I, this time I found myself wondering, do you think it is just a a movie trope that gauges themselves would just shatter? Like, like what is making the gauges shatter? <laughs> I lost. I, I assume that the I assume the metal around them compressing. I don't know. Like that, that, that just, I was like, hmm, are the pressures actually being reflected in the actual gauge readout? Like, you know, where the glass is? Like, that's interesting. I always just love it. And it's, and it's either, you know, it's, it's, it's not a great just... visual. And it's, you know, I mean, it, you, you, you don't even question it usually, right? But like, I just found myself wondering, like, would that happen in real life? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the rivets popping, sure. I, I always wonder, and I'm willing to just pass it off as like, you know, basic redundancy, right? But whether it be a submarine movie or anything, like even like, a, you know, like in Star Trek or something or, or Star Wars, when you see like so much of this, like you see stuff just like bursting into sparks over and over again and all these pipes falling apart. And I'm just like, and, you yeah, know, like still able to car, yeah. one thing goes wrong and that thing's like off the road, but right. this thing's still able to go. And it's like, I know there are redundancies, I do, but is that more or less what it looks like? So much crap can fall apart, but you're still like, yeah, we're good. Yeah, sparks, fires, pipes bursting, and, and then yeah. uh, we're, we're good. Right, we got yeah. it under control. We can go again. Yeah. No, right. it's, it's what? Whenever those sparks shoot out of the control panels on Star Trek, you're just like, so they don't have circuit breakers in the future. <laughs> right. It is an excellent question, but yeah, it is all for dramatic especially for sure, Just yeah. like when, when she said Carson is still counting off their, their death. Like, all right, does it matter at this point? Right. We're going down. Um, We're thinking. I get it. It's so the rest of us know to be more tense. And I also, I, yeah. I want to bring up something else that, again, uh, you know, I've seen a number of submarine movies. I do enjoy it as a genre. I never really thought of it this way, but I think you guys in particular might might um appreciate it um you know the other trope is of course you know the the cat and mouse the sonar pings yes everybody talking super quiet i love that Uh, um and it suddenly occurred to me i was like this feels like a slasher movie like this sounds like you know like every time you you know as those sonar pings get closer and closer and faster and faster it just feels like you know you could tell the the slash is about to jump on you like like it's the same feeling it it is i mean very much like what the destroyer is like literally stalking the ship you know yeah exactly well and, and you know again just to add you know the million ways to die type of danger in here is at one point mcconaughey says to jake weber step away from the bulkhead because the vibrations can get so bad from those depth charges it may snap your spine yeah yeah and you're like is that true i well i who who wants to find out who wants to find out but i you know if the if you're up against metal vibrating that much i i mean i I can probably do some stuff yeah well you know and again again one of those rivets popping out and hit right you know might be fatal oh what a way to go getting brained by a rivet after all that honestly it might be the best way at that point well yeah yeah <laughs> other yeah, other than other than uh other than a catastrophic implosion that takes place faster than your brain can register it i guess right yeah which we which i didn't really know about until that uh the titan sub went down a few months ago but yeah i didn't know that was a thing i mean i i could comprehend like okay yeah lots of pressure but i didn't know it was like that, that instantaneous yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean I, that can be the only blessing I think those those poor people had yeah, was right. that it was before they knew it. 
Right. All right. All right. On to lighter fare. Let's get back to our war. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so while all this intensity is going on, Tank finds out that, okay, I can get the, the, the tube working, but there's a valve I need to shut off and I'm just too big to reach it. I need somebody smaller. And this is, again, we, we go back to, you know, Chekhov's gun where, right. you know, Paxton asked, could you send somebody to do something that might get them killed? And he realized, well, you know, Rabbit and Trigger are two of the smallest guys. I'll send the, I got to send one of them in to see if they can reach that valve and shut it off and, you know, save all our lives. So, you know, he gets um, Trigger and he says, okay, Trigger, go with Tank. We need you to help him you know, repair the torpedo tube. And Tank has rigged up a bit of a breathing hose for him to go down. He's like, you just got to go underwater. You're going to see bubbles coming up from a pipe. So wherever you see those bubbles, go to the valve that is behind it and shut that off. And he gets under there. And, you know, again, if you don't like, you know, being underwater and you have a problem with claustrophobia, this is the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. Yeah, this is the is, part. Yeah, this is the part that's always the hardest to watch, right? This kid is struggling, you know, in between all this machinery underwater, and he just finally reaches and shuts off the valve, only to see bubbles erupt further down. So we establish now that he's got to go farther in, but. You know, he kind of gets up to where he can breathe and talk to Tank, still underneath all, most of the machinery and say, I need more slack on the hose. And Tank's like, there is no more slack. So they call McConaughey back and says, no, he can't reach it. It's, it's too far back. And McConaughey is basically telling him, like, no, 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 you have to do this. We literally have no choice. If you cannot do this, we all die. Now, he's not saying this, but you can kind of read between the lines and say and to him telling Trigger, look, I know I'm telling you to do something that's going to get you killed. I'm basically asking you to sacrifice your life for all our lives. Because when it comes down to this kid, you're not surviving this either way. Because if you can't do this, we're all dead. Right. So. Maybe there's a chance we all survive, including you, if you can get down in there and do this. But you need to do it. So he gets triggered to get under there. And he manages. He's struggling. And as they're doing all this and the, 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 the depth charging has stopped, they're starting to rise to the surface. Everything's just, you know. Getting there, he's like, you know, we're, we're going to be on the surface in less than a minute, Tank. I need that torpedo ready. Trigger, you got to do this. Wentz on the radio starts hearing clanging. It's Morse code. It's somebody saying, I am U571. And before he even finishes, Jake Weber knows immediately what's happening. The German captain they've captured is tapping the side of the ship, trying to give them away. And he runs back there with a wrench and just bludgeons the captain to death. Which, again, I, I said something they probably should have done. I don't need, mean they needed to bludgeon him to death. Right. But they probably put, should have put it into this guy sooner. 
they surface. The destroyer sees them and starts shooting at them with their deck guns. The ships come, the, the, the submarines coming apart. Trigger is pinned underwater, but apparently it pushed him along close enough that he can reach that valve, shuts it off. They get a green light in the tube. The torpedo goes off. The destroyer is destroyed spectacularly. And everybody is celebrating because they survived. And, of course, they get the word from Tank in the back that Trigger drowned. And McConaughey says in tribute to his fallen comrade, you know, little guy never gave up, did he? And then T.C. Carson Carson says to him, well, neither did you, uh, Mr. Tyler. And I kind of get what they were going for, but it seems a little disingenuous. Right. You know, yeah, he didn't give up, but he didn't sacrifice his life to a <laughs> it seems, rather. It seems like the thing, the type of thing only a movie character would say. <laughs> right, yeah. right, 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 right. This, this like, is now. This actually, this scene is. I was mentioning before uh, that I was reminded of another movie, and there, there were actually two things that did it. It was like number one when they took the communications out um, on on the destroyer. I immediately thought of Jaws. Sure, <laughs> because they didn't have the they didn't you know because quint destroys their own radio and then yep. they're out there you know playing cat and mouse with a, with a shark uh and also when they were lining up the shot here and they and they had that shot of the, the submarine coming towards the camera with the um with the destroyer coming at it coming at it in the background i just got heavy heavy jaws feelings you know of of that shot of like the barrels coming towards the camera with the with the orca coming after it now that's just probably because i'm obsessed with jaws but uh fair enough but uh, but i was like oh that's cool i don't know if i don't know Jaws is a great movie to be obsessed with. yeah so i don't don't know if it was on purpose but uh but those two things actually kind of like got me thinking about that and yeah like you could you could uh you know you could call to mind worse things than jaws you know yeah for sure see i thought you were gonna go with star trek 2 spock's <laughs> sacrifice at the end of star trek 2 oh yeah i mean yeah well that was a little, spoilers by the way a little bit more uh dramatic well we already covered star trek yeah. 2 todd so fair enough it was the most but human. I, mean, I get what they were trying to go for with what tc carson is saying but I think a better way to say, like, well, he did what he had to do, just like you had to do what you had to do. Right. Lieutenant. Right, right. It was badly, yeah, it's pretty badly worded. You know, yeah, badly worded and badly timed, I would say. And it's unfortunate because, you know, T.C. Carson, his character has been so great all through the movie. You know, almost like, dude, read the room. So... They have the, the ship is now sinking. They get the Enigma machine. They they get off into the raft and they watch the ship go down. And like a lot of these movies, it's kind of like you know they they show the passage of time and you're kind of wondering are they going to be rescued? What's going to happen? And the movie ends with you. They show a, an American or I guess it could be a Brit. It's an Allied plane flying over them and spotting them and they've been rescued and they captured the enigma spotting machine. them all dressed up like german u-boat sailors <laughs> right, right right as they get gunned down yeah 
Well, you know, I think they probably changed out of those yeah. uniforms by then, just so to avoid uh, well, being you know, satisfied. You could easily say, "Well, they were looking for these guys." You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were. They were expecting to find something like but this, perhaps. That was a last-minute change because originally it was filmed with them spotting land and being happy. Okay. But the, the filmmakers realized, well, that's a little ambiguous because we don't know what land they've spotted. Sure, yeah. So we're going to show what is well, one of them could have, hey, it's Big Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the White Cliffs of Dover. Big Ben, Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> and then they can't turn left. <laughs> and then, as we said earlier, you know, there's a, there's a scrolling uh, before the credits roll. There's, you know, little tributes to the actual ships that did in fact, help capture Enigma machines, you know, during World War II. And as we mentioned, the British did it first. Right? The British did it before we were even involved yeah. in the war. Right. And so while that obviously should be stated, you know, I think, again, they were just taking, you know, what was meant to be entertainment a little too seriously. Well, like you said, it's, it's closer to where Eagles Dare than trying to be, you know, anything else yeah i you know i can see if i'm a if i'm a student of british history or or uh it you know if i'm a british national i can see wanting to point out you know right it really was us who did it first but i wouldn't extend that to like ripping the movie apart for it you know right well, right i would find it as like a yeah, reason oh, to tell that story yeah, this, exactly this is a good opportunity to yeah. to let you know about this yeah exactly I, I, one of the reasons I think I get a little, you know, don't insult my intelligence by thinking that because I saw it in a movie, exactly. I think yeah. it's real. Exactly. That's what really bothers me. And I see it all the time. Yeah. I see these stupid little clickbait articles, things you believe because you see in them in movies. Like, no. I'm like, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. No. Did you believe it? Just because you're dumb enough to believe it doesn't mean the rest of us believe it. I've never once thought, you know, with all the ridiculous things I've seen and read. So all I have to do is put a spider in the microwave right. and have it bite me and I can be a superhero. Right. Now, you know, I don't think Raiders of the Lost Ark is historically accurate. We don't I know that don't... it's not, though. No, this, this is true. Yeah, We can't prove it isn't, but it's probably not. But to, what you're saying is, as far as we know, it's true. It's ambiguous. We'll we'll just say it's ambiguous. Oh yes, as far as we know, it's true. As far as we know, yeah, yeah, I can work with that. Yeah. All right. Sure. But like us, that's what I'm saying. It's just like, and and I so, and well, you know, I unfortunately know there are people. I, although I'm not sure I ever really truly believe the reports that when Gilligan's Island was being aired, there were people going to the Coast Guard saying, why don't you find these poor people? <laughs> I can't buy that for a second. I really have, you know, again, I know we were brought up to, you know, a lot of the things I like, oh, and they that. all they all fell for the Orson Welles War of the Worlds. And that I can believe. But then you find out later, like, no, that didn't really happen. You know, some people... Right. You know, did. they got but three phone calls? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. it wasn't this grand nationwide panic that you know some people tried to put it off. For at. sure. Oh, like, and uh, that's, you know, the modern equivalent of that is three people complain about something on Twitter, and some hack 
you know, journalist website, you know, hack news website picks it up as a story as like, oh, fans are up in arms about blah, blah, yes. blah, 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 you know, no. Every time Twitter, anything happens yeah. in, in, in one of the Marvel movies, Marvel fans in an uproar. I'm like, um, I'm a Marvel fan and I'm not all these people I know and right. none of us seem to be all that put out by it. And it's always like, you know, the worst of the, the worst ratings. And it's like 74%. It's like, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay, I guess. But, you know, my, 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 my favorite one of those, and we talked about this way back when we did Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> trying to ban it in Boston due to the, like, pro-gang influence. Or oh, my yes. God. Yeah. It's, 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 That's, like, my favorite thing ever. This, this is a thing? This is yeah, like, that was a thing. Apparently, the, it was a the thing. first... The first four episodes of Welcome Back, Carter did not air in Boston because of the yeah. fear in of, of uprising gang violence that may happen. Oh my God, I'm yeah. embarrassed. It's like the cutest show ever, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because when it comes right down to it, as much as you know, the the, the especially the early episodes tried to portray the Sweat Logs as a gang, they really were just delinquents. They were delinquents, yeah, through and through. Lovable delinquents, yeah. misunderstood youth. So anyways, like this movie was never meant to be any more than a piece of entertainment. Sure. It wasn't trying to be educational or, you know, make try to, to, to pass itself off as factual. Uh, it, it was just meant to be enjoyed. And I think, I can't believe that if you can just sit back and watch this movie as entertainment, that you won't be entertained by it. Yeah, you know, I didn't really know what to think going into the going into it the first time because like i you know i hadn't seen use one through 570 so yes. i just didn't know what i was in store for but yeah. uh you know i did enjoy it uh, i enjoyed it then and i enjoyed it now well yes fortunately the filmmakers made this one accessible to all of you. <laughs> right yes. this is its own side plot yeah you didn't have to see world war one to understand world war two right i mean it helps but yeah it's its own thing All right. Well, anybody, anything else to say about this? Um, this is really fun and entertaining film that it is. You know, it is a perfectly serviceable entry in in the submarine genre, yep. genre which I enjoy. especially at a time where well, no, I don't want to say they weren't because you had Crimson Tide and Hunt for Red October, Hunt for Red October. Yep. but Both those were movies. two fun movies, but entirely different styles. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's like comparing Star Trek and Star Wars. And, then, and, those, then and those are both more modern submarine movies anyway. This, right, you know, this right. is a, you know, World War II sub, sub movie is almost a genre into itself, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and then like, yeah, then you just, you didn't see sub movies for a while until we got uh, Hunter Killer, which is pretty fun. Have you seen that? Yeah, show? it's a cool movie too. I haven't. Um, it's a fun one. It's a good one. Yeah. If if we want to get to uh, recommendations, I I mean I do have a couple of movies that I I was gonna bring up, and one of which I did just see this year. Go for it. Uh, so yep. I mean, you know, the, of course, the obvious one is like if you haven't seen Das Boot, you need to see Das Boot. Like that is the you know <laughs> the quintessential submarine movie. Uh, but beyond that, uh, this past year, I think it was on Netflix, I watched a movie called The Wolf's Call. Have you guys seen it? I have not. No, okay. I haven't. This is from 2019. It's a French movie, um, and it's 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 modern. And basically, the idea is that um, 
without getting too much into it, terrorists uh, come into possession of, of a retired Russian submarine, um, and it's uh, and they're wreaking havoc. And and it's basically the uh, I don't know what you call you know the the hydrophone guy, the the guy with the <laughs> the guy with the headphones on, is the one who who first um, identifies it as being what it is because it's like it's not even in the books anymore like the like this class of submarine you know was considered defunct basically so they didn't even teach people about it um but but this kid was you know was such an egghead about this stuff he's like i think it's one of these things and that's it's what it turns out to be um and it's um so he's kind of the main character um and it, it, it goes on from there um but it's a pretty you know again it's not the best movie you'll ever see, but it's a it's a good submarine movie, you know, with tension in all the right places and ways. Uh, I, I just thought you were telling me that like the movie was about a World War Two German submarine that the Germans were still down there because they didn't know yeah. the war was over. They were still right. patrolling the ocean. <laughs> they had a, like, they had a really long piece of bamboo getting air from the surface. Um, <laughs> They could be zombie submariners. Yeah, ooh, no, that's a genre that ooh. is ripe. Um, that another happened. Another what was that down below or something? Nightboat by Robert McCammon. Oh, okay, so it, it does exist. All right, okay, good to know. There you go. Um, another movie I just saw this this past year, although it is definitely an older movie, and it's not strictly a submarine movie, but um, it's about half a submarine movie. It was Ice Station Zebra? Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. With a, Alistair McLean and our old friend Ernest Borgnine, um, Jim Brown. Yeah. So, so those were my those were my submarine picks. Um, I also thought if you were like interested in, you know, the Enigma machine in particular, there was a Benedict Cumberbatch movie a few years ago, The Imitation Game, about Alan Turing, um, and the the, uh, the basically the spies the spies at Bletchley Park in England who were doing all this research, trying to figure out the Enigma machine. Um, it's kind of a very by the book biopic, but you know, it's got a lot of information if you're interested in that stuff. And then um, another fun movie, which you may have seen um, also from the past couple of years, it was on Netflix was operation mincemeat. Either. I know what it's about, but I haven't seen it. I okay. do know what Operation Mincemeat was. Todd, do you know? No. Well, it sounds uh, it sounds familiar, but I guess I've forgotten. So, so basically, um, basically, the uh, British Navy is trying to fool um, the Germans by by basically planting a dead body in the in the ocean with fake documents on him. Um, oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, uh, to, to convince them uh, D-Day yeah. that they're going to go to the Pas de Calais instead of. Uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't D-Day, but it was. It was like you know, uh, they. I think Sicily. Oh, they, okay. You know, they they convinced yeah, the, them that they the were going to. Was going to come through Sicily. Yeah, and, or Sardinia. Yeah, exactly. So they they convinced them it was going to come through Sardinia, Sardinia, and, and actually it came through Sicily. Um, so that's that's a good one too. Um, again, it's not a groundbreaking movie or anything, but it's like if you like that genre, like you know, World War II espionage, military stuff. Like it, it was fun. And, uh, and then the other thing I throw there, it's got nothing to do with submarines at all, but just sort of like a great World War II movie from the last, you know, decade uh, was Dunkirk, which I assume you guys have seen. I've seen that. It is excellent. The, yeah. um, uh, oh, uh, Christopher Nolan, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
that was good. Yeah. Have you seen that, Matt? Yes. And you know what? It actually kind of, if you watch Dunkirk, it helps you, or I mean, again, if you know about World War II history, it helps you enjoy the guns of Navarone even more. Yeah. Because it's the rescue at Dunkirk that the guns of Navarone were threatening. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. So that's why I have not. Yeah. They have to go take out those guns because they would have been able to ship sink every ship crossing the channel to Dunkirk. Oh, okay. I wasn't aware of that. I mean, I've seen the guns of Navarone, but it's probably been about 20 years and, and I did not make a connection. Love that moment. Oh, wait, right, is the guns is the guns of Navarone the one where David Niven says <laughs> Hi everybody when he comes in dressed yes, as a yes, Nazi? Yes. Yeah, I believe like, so, yeah. Hi, everybody. At least that's the one I'm thinking of—the David Niven one, right? Man? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's Guns of Narrow. That yeah. that cracks me up so much. Anyway, never mind. Sorry. All right, Todd, go ahead. Uh, so you mentioned um, Death Boot. We also mentioned um, Crimson Tide and Hunt for Red October. But so the um, I, it's been a while since I've seen it. So um, uh, have you? Do you remember the K19 yes. movie with Harrison Ford? I haven't seen it. Directed by Kathleen Bigelow. That's right. Um, I, I remember really liking it. Uh, I remember that being a very good movie. And also, um, I saw this a while ago and, and really liked it. Uh, it's also a classic, uh, Run Silent, Run Deep. It's another one I wanted to bring up. I haven't seen that either. That's well, I Obviously, was... I know of it, but right. yeah, I haven't seen it. It's currently on Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it there. Bert, nope. uh, Lancaster and uh, Clark Gable. I finally yeah. saw it for the first time. Not that long ago, um, less than two years ago. Once again, cranky old Matt, it's very little like the book. It's barely <laughs> like the book at all. But it is, it, it probably is the be all and end all of World War II submarine warfare movies, is Run Silent, Run Deep. All right. Well, since Todd took one of mine, <laughs> was it that one? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we brought up Star Trek and Star Trek 2 several times because really, you know, Wrath of Khan is very much like submarine warfare, especially yes. at the end when they're both flying blind in that nebula. Right. You know, trying to. So that's a good one. Uh, and I'm going to bring up uh, where Eagles Dare as a great, you know, World War II espionage commando style thriller and again we brought it up Todd, Todd mentioned it too but uh, uh, a very recent really good submarine warfare movie is Hunter Killer starring Gerard Butler yeah I like that one a lot that's also uh, is Gary Oldman in that as well yes yeah. alright so uh, that's our recommendations do either of you have a magnificent seven degrees I did not <laughs> Um, I, I don't either. All right. Well, um, I will connect this movie to my favorite film, The Magnificent Seven, through David Keith. David Keith was also in An Officer and a Gentleman with Lou Gossett Jr. Lou Gossett Jr. was in Aces, Iron Eagle 3. Yeah, he was. With Horst Buckles from The Magnificent oh, Seven. Oh, right on. Wait, Horace Buckles was in another movie? Holy cow. 
He was the German James Dean, man. Yeah, I don't. I've just never seen his name anywhere else, or not that I've noticed anyway. And he was uh, also in Dan Curtis's Dead of Night. Oh well, sorry. From 1977. Uh, I don't know what what else there is to care about in 77 other than Dan Curtis's Dead of Night. No, you're right. With Karen Black and uh, Horse Buckles. Certainly not Smokey and the Bandit. No. <clears throat> um. He was in a Killer Bee movie, but I can't remember which one it was. Uh, it's Attack of the Killer Bees, uh, or uh, was it like Buzz or something, or some <laughs> entirely different name? Like the Deadly. I want to like say the Terror Swarm? from the Sky, but I Ooh, might. That's be a good wrong. name, though. I, you know, I honestly, I misunderstood. I thought you, I didn't think you were talking about the insect. I thought you just meant a bee movie. Like he was in oh. a Killer Bee movie. Oh. <laughs> no, no, one of the uh, many '70s Killer Bee exploitation movies, and that's a strange sentence to say. But we were obsessed about the killer bees in the 1970s. Oh, there was a bunch yeah. of them. Yeah. I uh, there was a point where I thought that was how I would die. I mean, come on, it was all there's, over the place. Sean, there's still time. True. Well, much true. There's still much time. like the great John Mulaney joke. You know, I thought quicksand was going to be a much bigger problem. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, quicksand and killer thought, bees. Yeah, we thought the killer bees were, you know, swarming to kill us. And if it wasn't that, it was Sasquatch. Well, Sasquatch could still happen. That's true. Again, this... Although I suppose killer bees could still happen. That's what I was saying. There's plenty of time. If, hey, if in search hey, of listen. has taught me anything, it's that we don't know nothing. Do not count quicksand out. Exactly. We'll be we'll be drowning in quicksand, being stung by killer bees, while Sasquatch is throwing boulders at me. I knew this is how I would go out. Or, or, or if sinkholes count, right. if sinkholes count, very quicksand. Yes, <laughs> extremely quicksand. Like that's terrifying. Just having the them bees, just or the dogs or the dogs with the bees in their no, mouths no. that when they bark they shoot bees at us. Yes. All right, I think we've gone into enough of a tirade. Yeah. Uh, anybody else got anything else to say? Uh, no, not me. No, just just uh, thank you for inviting me again. Uh, it, I always love an excuse to rewatch one of these movies, and uh, this is one I probably wouldn't have gotten around to on my own, but I'm I'm glad to have rewatched it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad you joined us too. And I have you down for when we cover another World War movie, a World War One movie, Gallipoli. Which we'll be doing at some point okay. in the future. Oh, right I haven't. I have seen it, but it's been a long time. Well, it'll be a good excuse to rewatch it. Yeah, any you know, any way I can throw a dollar to Mel Gibson, you know, I'm in for it. <laughs> I don't know if he gets anything for it. He might. <laughs> I mean, Jodie Foster loves him. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, that always was surprising, but good for her. Yeah, you know. Good enough. Whatever you know, that, that says a lot to me. Actually, look, there, there, there are you know, there are some terrible people in this world, and and some of them are involved in the entertainment industry. Uh, but it if seems you're gonna, like a lot, though. <laughs> but if you're going to boycott everything that has a terrible person involved, you're not going to have much left. To you're not going to watch a damn thing. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, plus, like, plus, if there's like 500 people who work on a movie, like, you know, how many of them are actually terrible? 50, 60, maybe. Right. What about that to them? <laughs> that's what I always try to re try to remember is like, you know, maybe I don't like this guy, but there's enough people out there who did some good work on it. Who did they, good you know, work and deserve to, you know, there's no reason they should be punished because of this guy, you know? Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's not like Sean where he only just now got into the Cosby show, which is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, no, I I put it off for a long time. Uh, all right, all right, come on. Guy, you know, we really try to avoid this on the show. We just said it out like... then. It's fine. Maybe you have powers. We want to be light and fluffy, okay? All right. All right. Well, with that, we thank you for listening and hope you decide to continue listening to have you back next time. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and most importantly, Letterboxd at Movie Matt Royce. All one word, M-O-V-I-E-M-A-T-T-S-I-R-O-I-S. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Stay gold. Stay gold, people. I forgot how handsome a horse Buckholes is. He was a handsome dude. There's a reason why I was one of the seven. This is this is the kind of banter that goes on on the TV news at the end when the music starts playing. Yes. I forgot how handsome horse buckles. <laughs> Caesar once said. <laughs>